Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time about. for Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters. What's up, guys? What How's a, it going? What a beautiful day for radio. It's great. I love it. It's drizzly out there. Yeah, oh, we need it. It was... I would I would dare say it was raining on the grade. It was when I was Raining. Yeah. This is pretty drizzly. It was clearing up out in Morro This Bay. is a California down. It's not pour. clear up yet. We need the rain. Well, it is. I, I was there. I'm just Darn it. speaking well, the my, facts Well, my uh, iPhone weather app tells me that's going to rain. Um, tomorrow, too. Tomorrow, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in a place last week where it rained 700 feet a couple years ago. Wow. <laughs> feet or inches? I don't like feet. Really? No, maybe it was inches. Guy, but thinking even inches is kind of a I'll, lot. I'll but. look it up. I'll look it up. It's probably inches. Yeah, I'm pretty thinking. I, you know, I, well, I'm here's what this. I was struck by. They said that it it rained. This is on like the um, over by the Princeville Hanalei area of mm. um, Kauai. Yeah. Average annual rainfall was in the 400 inches wow and um they had a year recently of 700 inches that's crazy we hope for 25 (laughs) yeah wow that'd be like we wouldn't have any you know we'd have landslides at 25 i think that's crazy we did play the hawaii 50 theme in honor of you last week and you you did missing you last week yeah we did you guys missed me yeah yeah we did we did. Well, not last week, the week before, right? Yeah. Because I got like a couple nasty voicemails that was like, you're doing a rerun. Like, It was a holiday weekend. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Excuse us for wanting the day to... off. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to come do a solo show? <laughs> I did that. I've, done yeah. I've got that. On that the... was a holiday weekend, too. <laughs> yeah, we're going to not let you forget about that one for a while. No, I still feel bad about it, as you can tell. I'm... <laughs> scarred forever yeah in uh in Kauai, where it rains this says that um the second wettest spot on earth receiving more than 460 inches the yeah, feet would be extreme wouldn't it yeah, yeah that'd be a lot i think at 700 feet it would, the oceans would like come up i would think so i it's mean where's the water area. gonna go it's a pretty small area <laughs> yeah well I guess. But okay, even right, still, right, right, right. I mean, mm-hmm. 460 inches on average, mm-hmm. that's pretty wild. That's a lot. Yeah. But they said they were, they used to be the rainiest spot on earth, the wettest place on earth. And, and now they're, they're the second. It shifted. Mm-hmm. Is that weird? I think that, I feel like what happened is um, the globe kind of spun under the weather, weather pattern. And, oh, possibly. And the... Yeah, well, look, I mean, they're like talking drought in Seattle, and then like Texas is under feet of water. Mm. I know it's kind of funny when you can see, I mean, it's not funny, but when you see all that water, it's like, isn't there any way that you guys can like grab a little bit of that, cross that over? Right. Well, Mm -hmm. keep talking about building these oil pipelines all over the place. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe we need oil. 
But while you do it, why don't you lay two of them and run water down the other one? Yeah. <laughs> we could use that. Yeah. And if it makes it any easier, you could put the refineries here somewhere. You know? We could deal with that if it came with water. And by the way, speaking of rain, Dan finally got me a uh, hat to keep some rain off my head. You'll it's be protected. very spiffy Looking because it's got sharp. a really nice logo on the front it's, of it. It's a stylish CCL hat. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it looks great. Yeah. It Thank really you, does. So you're in Hawaii. Did you go to multiple islands last week? I did. I, I Just Oahu and Kauai. I don't want to say just. That was amazing. It was, <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was amazing. Um, yeah. That was, what did you... From the economy, from the housing market, what did you see there? Um, I did a little bit of research on both. I actually ducked into some real estate offices, grabbed <laughs> flyers on my tours around. Um, Just purely research, right? Not actual genuine interest? Both. <laughs> both. I mean, I'm interested in real estate wherever I am. And Don't tell me that you could you know, maybe ride off this trip because you were doing research. Well, I mean, let's not get carried <laughs> away. The accountant once said, imagine Uncle Sam is your business partner. And would he feel comfortable with you expensing that like equally against him? So I, you know, we'll we'll see what the accountant says about this trip. However, um, last time I was over there, which was four years ago, I found out. Um, I mean, it hadn't fully recovered then. I don't think there was enough people that was back into the vacation home game. Um, vacation home game, by the way, over there, very strong. Um, and Kauai's Island that I was interested, you know, and in, even for investment standpoints, like trying to figure out what's going on there. Um, they have recently passed some ordinances to deal with VRBO. Mm. The vacation rental by owner has been causing some real problems. I mean, we're, I suspect we're going to hear more and more about this in coming years as it's even popping up quite a bit here. Problems for hotels or problems for buyers? Um, both. Everybody. Okay. So the residents that are there are being priced out because you can rent your three bedroom home for three or four or $500 a night, depending so on lucrative. its location. Yeah. Much more. Uh, we found, so basically what they, what they decided on Kauai was that there was several parts of the island that were deemed to be, um, vacation destinations. And so this was like Princeville, Poipu and Hanalei, I think. Those three parts of the island were vacation destinations where you could do VRBO. Uh, you had to register and pay your fees and stuff. The other parts of the island they determined were not vacation destinations. So this is like Waimea, Kapa'a. And you can tell when you drive through. That's where the resorts are in, kind of clustered into most of similar places. And dare I say, maybe the nicer, more attractive parts of the island. I mean, it's all great, but... Then you can tell where, I don't know, where you'd almost think the workforce housing was. You could tell they were locals, you it's know? It's more residential. Yeah. And so, um, well, because there's even a lot of residential neighborhoods where you can tell that you're going through kind of hoity-toity residential. Majority of those are going to be VRBO. Mm. So in the, like, what I would think is like where the locals live, the workforce housing, you could tell when you're in those areas. Those areas are not vacation destination. They are... Um, their ordinances now the, have a limited amount of vacation rental permits. They're all taken. There's a waiting list to get on it. Mm. And so you can't go buy a home in one of those areas and convert it to a vacation rental unless you could procure a permit somehow. I see. Um, so it's having some 
couple of the realtors I talked to said that that's having some stabilizing value effect in some of those areas where the speculative and investment market was really starting to make it go crazy. Um, in one part of Kauai, uh, Lahui, they call it Lahue. It's, uh, it's where the cruise ships dock. There's a condo there. I, I saw two listings. This is like a hundred yards from the ocean. I saw a condo there for $215,000, a two bedroom, two bath condo. That was very reasonable. Um, the HOA fees there are called maintenance fees. The maintenance fee is $800 a month. Wow. <laughs> is that crazy? Wow. That makes that like a $300 plus thousand yeah. condo. Um, so I guess maintenance is wow. a bit more because of the weather and the humidity and um, and probably a bit of the traffic and stuff that goes on in those things. But um, yeah, that was another one of the things I learned is that a lot of the people that go over there and try to have a second home, a vacation rental type of home, um, they get clobbered by HOA fees. Is that a typical HOA fee, an $800? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They said HOA fees are generally in the ballpark of about $400 a room. Wow. So if you ended up with, you know, one of the bigger four or five bedroom condos, you you should expect an HOA fee like approaching 2000 bucks a month. <sighs> Crazy, huh? Wow. That um, is... But so... General, so that sort of sums up what's been going on in terms of the vacation rental component. Um, the scarcity of listings and transactions happening is the same, if not worse, than here. Wow. And prices reflect it. I mean, I remember in particular a place that we stayed four years ago. Um, there was a house that I saw for sale that struck me as a pretty awesome deal at like $600,000. It was a five bedroom bath, a three bath home with like an ocean view. It was a beautiful house. And I was like, man, that's not too different than what you're looking at, like where I'm from at that time, four years ago, right? That's still kind of what you would find in slow then house right next door to that house was actually listed this time for like 1.4 million. Hmm. So it seems that the last four years there have been quite healing in terms of those values as well. Um, but everybody that I talked to, I mean, the, the few people that I was able to have a conversation with that were locals said that it's still pretty much a, a full-blown crisis and um, they're not really sure what to do about it. I think that's, it's everywhere. I Yeah. A lot of people might be surprised to know that we're an approved lender in the state of Colorado. Um, I shared with you this week when you got back that our loan, um, you know, our our person there in Colorado is going to be retiring from the business uh -huh. at the end of this year. So we're going to be shutting down lending in that state. But he's moved. He, he was sharing some of the market stories with me um, about appraisals and and just the general market conditions. And he said, it's just as crazy there with scarcity. It's hard to find properties. He said, you know, we're, we've been talking a lot the last four weeks, five weeks, six weeks about appraisals here and how long they're taking, how they're delaying transactions. Funny, I brought some information about that today. He's saying that appraisals there are taking up to um, 90 days to complete. Wow. It's like six weeks is is a quick appraisal there and 90 days is is kind of more wow. the norm like six weeks is a rush that's like commercial appraisal and timeline the fees 
start at $600 plus and work their way up to several thousand dollars if you want rushes. and If, if you need a 30-day appraisal, that's a multiple thousand it's dollar crazy appraisal. there. So he's crazy. Know, sharing this stuff about Colorado. I'm just, my mind's blown. And all of a sudden, I feel like, gosh, it's not too bad here that we can get it done in two weeks. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so it was interesting to hear those stories. It's, just, it's interesting to hear how Hawaii's doing. And the other thing and... about Oahu and Kauai that I noticed on both was lots of construction. It looked like there was lots going on. I didn't see, I don't think I saw a single commercial building vacancy anywhere. I mean, it looked like everything was just the hustle bustle everywhere. Mm. Um and one of the other things that surprised me was, well, shouldn't surprise me, I guess, but solar was everywhere. I, I mean, and at such a bigger scale. What, in fact, my dentist's son recently moved to Kauai, I think probably a year, year and a half ago, to go work for a solar company. Hmm. And so, you know, perhaps it was, I, I was kind of paying attention to it because of that. But especially when you, um, when you fly or come driving like down a hilltop where you can see over the top of homes it seems like a majority of homes there now are on solar um have they actually done it in a way to because we kind of brought this up on the show uh with the solar ago. guy yeah have they actually done it in a way as to not kind of infringe on the aesthetic value no it's the pretty right. much the standard thing you'd think about like it is hmm. most of the time around here where you right. see on on whatever the best exposure is of the roof. So the mm -hmm. entire neighborhood seems to have it on that Southern. same exposure. Mm -hmm. You just got tiles all across the top of it. Great big panels that take up the majority of the roof. Mm -hmm. um, I saw a couple homes that had like interesting carport type of mm -hmm. structures that you could tell were much newer than the home and were kind of mm -hmm. thrown up just to be able to facilitate solar some of which I thought stood out like a sore thumb. And then mm -hmm. every now and again, you'd be like, oh, they kind of hid some solar right there. But um, it was definitely something to notice that there was solar everywhere. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, over there on the islands, they don't have the same access to other power. Like I, I didn't know this before, but Kauai is one of the most expensive places to have power. It's not uncommon for your electric bill in Hawaii, in Kauai to be like 500 bucks a month for a household. Mm -hmm. oh. So... Oh it makes it a lot more that's affordable lot. to be able to get solar there. And, and probably, mm -hmm. you know, that's probably why the companies have been successful in, in growing that business there. Well, to me, it'd be like very, um, very good place. Like you know, on some of the high rises to put, so why wouldn't you put solar up there? Yeah. I mean, it, to me, I mean, I don't know how much that would cut the bills for those kinds of buildings, but I would think that, you know, putting some solar up there would be yeah. advantageous somehow. And then the only other thing that was, I mean, other than we had a fantastic time, it was, it was great. It was, it was truly a, a wonderful time. The, one of the bummers about it was we got a bag stolen on the beach in Waikiki, which <laughs> possessed thousands of dollars worth of, uh, electronics in it, it was uh, kind of a bummer, um, led to a couple of other interesting conversations though. And my wife's, um, wallet was stolen in that bag. So then she uh, was without ID, which makes it very difficult to get through TSA without ID. Yeah. Um, so well, one of the things we had to do was go make a police report, I guess if her ID wasn't in there, I probably wouldn't have made a police report because what are the chances you're going to recover it? But you have to make a police report because you have to have that paper from the, police saying that you've you know yeah. reported a stolen id in order to to make it i i had my id stolen in london 
Oh, not my London, my my passport. Your passport. Yeah. Eesh. Talk about a person without a country right at that point. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. So it's you have to. Do so that. the police, as well as a couple, I had the pleasure after of talking to the the local um, Waikiki police. I went over to the AT and T store to procure a new phone um, so I could still pay attention to work while I was gone. And um, both of them shared that they're having tremendous problems with that greater than ever before. Hmm. Um, the police officer that I was talking to said that he wouldn't tell me where, uh, but so basically what they're dealing with is there's a, um, an ever increasing homeless population there that he said is basically at a crisis level and said that he thought there was... Um, it was kind of rumored, but thought that there was states in the U.S., the continental U.S., that were um, buying people one-way plane tickets to just go, and that Hawaii was the destination because it was difficult for them to return. Oh, that they wow. were previously, you know, encouraging them to move to the county next door or whatever, but then those people would boomerang back. So I thought that was really interesting too, um, and I'm sure that ties hand in hand with the price and scarcity of available real estate there. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, it's good to be back, though. It was nice to come back to the beautiful Central Coast. and um, You brought some rain with you. Yeah, man. You're welcome. <laughs> when we were over there, actually, it was like, of course, it rains almost every day. Mm -hmm. But there was a couple of days where it was like real rain. Mm -hmm. Have you guys ever been to Hawaii? I have not. Nope. It's really common that like some clouds will blow in and it will drizzle or downpour for two or three or ten minutes and then blows away. The sun yeah. comes back out. Yeah. So if you're on the beach, you hardly even do anything. You just get dumped on for a second. Um, so it does that all the time. And then this time, there was actually days where it just rained for whole days. Wow. I, and I kept thinking, man, I, we could really use this. These guys are like bringing sand to the beach. They've yeah. already got all this rain. We yeah. need some. Yeah. But hopefully, this will be a great winter for us. I hope so. Because no one's talking today, about it. It looks like it's... Uh, right? Last year and the year before... Too much hype. Everyone was predicting it. Oh, mm. man. Do you remember before El Nino last year? It was like headlines. You kept seeing mm. things like, oh, it's going to be like Godzilla El Nino. Oh, you'd see all these weather Get ready. Maps, Roads maps. are going to be... Yeah, the warm blob in the ocean. Roads yeah. are going to be washing out. Mm. You should have water. You should have clean water on hand. It's going to be that rainy this year. Mm -hmm. Okay. Swing and a miss. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully it's that way. So this hopefully year. this year we get quite a bit. If we keep talking about it, then it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know if this was um, announceable information or not for the show either. This should have been Wes's day. And Wes basically conveyed to me that as much as he loves us, he's probably, he's probably not going to be coming on, at least not regularly anymore. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, he's so thin. On time. Yeah, and weekends have become such precious time that he's getting up and racing down here on a Saturday morning is just no longer the thing he wants to do. Hmm. So, All right. rest in peace, Wes Burke on Mortgage <laughs> Matters. It was a good run. He was on the show for a long time. Yeah. But you know, for the last year, it's gotten more and more like... Is he coming or not? So I was hoping that, you know, we could convince him once a quarter 
once a year or something to to just come in and bring us up to snuff on it. So maybe bring a, a have a representative come in to talk talk a little local real estate with us. That'd be nice. We'll I even tried the guilt angle of you know it's helpful to us. We try to get in here and fill two hours every single week, and to just have somebody that can come and provide relevant, coherent, thoughtful contribution to the conversation would be—it's a—it's a help. So come do it. Maybe it's just so in awe of the way you speak about it. Mm, Possibly. I don't know. I don't know. Hey, it's a good time to do a commercial break. <laughs> I've been talking right through. I brought some notes. There's quite a bit to talk about. I don't see any of Dan's clippings, so perhaps he's shifted over to the digital world. We'll find out soon. So let's go ahead and take the first commercial break here. Mortgage Batters will be back in just a minute. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KBEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number Just in memory of Hawaii here. It was not a particularly newsy week this week. You know why it's called Hawaii Five O, by the way? Why is that? We we're wondering that actually. That why? I've heard a variety of theories, but um, what I heard most recently is that Hawaii was the fiftieth state to join the U.S. Oh. So that's five well, O. Isn't it a police show? Hawaii Five O. Yeah, but that's how I think that's how cops got called Five O from this show. Yeah, hmm. here comes the Five O because they associated that term with mm. 
Yeah. Okay. It's a chicken well, that, or the that egg kind thing, of works, guess, yeah. you know. It's a yeah. It's a, it's homage to the fiftieth state five zero. Awesome. Yeah. Um. Oh, Dan, I saw a news article this week that brought up uh, your old stomping grounds, Sacramento. Oh yeah. Yeah. In fact, last time I was on the show a couple months ago. You're supposed to laugh right there. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Blacks. <laughs> we talked a little bit about these, um, co- these like real estate investment trusts and companies that were buying up massive amounts of real estate, like right during the recession, and then making them rentals. Yeah, Blackstone was a big buyer in Sacramento, huh? They were ten thousand units in Sacramento. Is that crazy? They have fifty thousand total. Um, that they've amassed in the last five years, but 10,000 of them in Sacramento. And now it seems that um, these are going to continue to be in the news here because these companies are now making some pretty attractive um, offers to the tenants to just buy the home that they're in and sort of facilitating them going from being the tenant to being the owner. Hmm. Um, The rental component of that business model is no longer what they're after probably just tired of being a landlord honestly i think being a landlord's tough um any rate the home values as we've been talking here have soared in the last four or five years and so now it's time to cash in on some of that so they're starting to make some from what i hear some pretty great offers to the uh the renters of these properties to go ahead and take ownership of them so Seeing that will be interesting to see, too, um, as more of that shakes out. Um, of course, right on the heels of that, we learned that the home ownership rate has declined to 63.1%, which is the lowest level since 1965. That's crazy, huh? 1965. Pretty big peak, too, from 04. And you remember that... Government was even sort of pushing the idea of home ownership for all. Right. And creating lending environments in which that dream was more and more attainable. Um, we almost touched 70% right there. It was 69.4% home ownership rate in Q4. I'm sorry, Q2 of 04. That was the peak? That was the peak. And um, yeah. Since the start of the recession, there's been, it's just been going down and in not, and still not even recovering. Um, the change in owner occupied versus renter occupied units is essentially negligible too, which is kind of interesting. Um, 21%. Um, but yeah, home ownership rate is really near the bottom and that's something that obviously, um, I mean, it's a, it's a stat that's tracked. I remember when I was in school for city and regional planning that the homeowner occupancy rate was talked about quite a bit then, um, there, there's a lot of, uh, I guess even just sentiment around, Communities where, like a neighborhood, a community, a city, a county, where you have a high level of home ownership, that those are those are just more productive, better, safer, prettier, higher functioning areas because people have that pride of ownership. They take that's a perception or that's a reality. 
Well, it's talked about mostly that it's simply a reality. And and I kind of feel like it makes sense, but I think also you're you're just sort of sharing that sentiment all the time. Where when I was in school, that's what it was. Oh, the the neighborhoods where people own are better than the neighborhoods where people rent. And you know, I'm sure you could make a case either way about how that's not true, but it seems like it packs a little bit of of clout to me because if you're if you own your home, you're more likely even just the simple things like mowing the yard and pulling the weeds. Like when you pull into your investment, you know, at, at the end of the day, you sort of look at it, and there's a there is some pride of ownership. I think that's conveyed to the outside. Obviously, not always, but. Um, I would I would suggest that it's probably more so than not. But going beyond that, when people are sort of proud about their house and proud about their neighborhood and working harder to to sort of keep it all productive and safe, you you know this is the idea that the higher your home ownership rate is in the country, then you know what's what's true at that small scale is true at that bigger scale. Then everything is you know, prettier, safer, better, more productive. And that's why we care about these metrics going up. Um, and doesn't it also feel a little bit about kind of the barbelling of the classes too? As you see home ownership slip away, I mean, there's not less homes today than there were at the beginning of the recession. No, but there's more people. There's more people, which could only mean that fewer people own more of the homes, right? <laughs> They're investment properties. Yeah, well... Were there company-owned properties? Trying to do apartment the, buildings. Yeah, but there's there's more people being born every day, more households being created. So, yeah, I don't but know. I think it's that, hard to know without fully breaking it down. Yeah. But it seems to me that it's one of those things where, and in isn't it feeling more and more true lately as these values take real estate out of grasp of some of the the working middle class people. It does feel like it's, you know, if you get your foot in the door in owning real estate, it seems like a path to getting to the upper upper middle class, you know, demographic or whatever and if you can't get there then it's hard to build wealth. That's one of the key ways that people build wealth right. in this country is by owning real estate, building equity through paying a mortgage payment that's not just going to your landlord, it's going to your equity. So yeah, I mean I I do feel like that helps exacerbate this barbell issue that we have. So we need to build more homes. That's part of it. That would help keep the the costs affordable or the prices affordable. Another metric came across the desk this week about housing starts for the month of August. So this is actually breaking ground on a on a new home. Um, it fell by five point eight percent. Bummer. Hmm. You want to see that number going up right now? We need to be building more homes. Starts, although it's heading into that time of year where sure a lot of the country is affected by winter weather. Well, and we saw that also. Um, July starts similarly. The South was underwater. It's awfully yeah. hard. It's awfully hard to go dig a footing when it's yeah. covered in water. It's hurricane season in the South. It's gonna be snow season here pretty soon in the North and Northeast. Existing home sales for the month of August eased by 0.9% to a 5.33 million uh, unit annual rate. That's not surprising either. You know, these these stats are tracked year over year, month over month, and you see that there's 
again, just that we keep talking about this here on the show, but there's a, there's just a lighter volume of things happening. And then in the resale market, because, um, it's tight. So I don't know if you caught this, the fed released their minutes from Mm -hmm. their last meeting this week. And for the first time that I can remember, they actually, they actually described this very issue specifically in their minutes, um, the, the scarcity of buildable lots, yeah. the scarcity of, of just new construction in general, and how that was really keeping the housing market from a true recovery, what we really... How much more can it recover? I mean, not a recovery in the sense that values haven't recovered, but a recovery... Recovered in, in solving America's like people problem of well, yeah, where like they live? Home ownership <laughs> rate, like you're talking sure. about, and, and affordability. I th- that's really the, the big yeah. issue is affordability, whether it's rent or ownership. Maybe the next round of Fed stimulus needs to be that like cities and counties get um, some sort of stipend for reducing building permit fees or converting open space into buildable lots. <laughs> you, you want a view shed and a green belt and a park where your kids can play, but think about these people that need homes. If we gave them that land for free and then gave them subsidies for building permits, they could build affordable housing. So you're selfishly wanting to keep open space, green belts, parks, national parks, state parks, campgrounds. Selfish. <laughs> this is really selfish, Dan. I'm selfish sorry. of you. Really? Yeah. Did you actually, did you actually, because read about and. You're the showing paper me on your email. Right no, now. I know, but did what you? Is this? no, I'm just trying to see Jason's face. The computer for everybody. Oh. I can't see Jason's face. You thought he was trying to yeah, get no, you, no, no, alert no, you no. to something on the monitor. <laughs> yeah. No, the whole thing about who owns the trademarks for Yosemite and stuff like that. You know that story. That's oh been going yeah. Because Apple named their new operating system Yosemite. Yeah. Well, but anyway, the governor, I guess, apparently signed some sort of um, thing about the state parks that. The names of the state parks are trademarks, trademarks of the state and not any sort of like, you know, thing like you lost provider, provider of the you lost me a governor. Whenever somebody mentions something political now, I find myself just going into this like mushy place where I'm like, am I napping right now? But apparently, (laughs) but apparently it's the only bill that he's ever signed where everybody in the legislature was agreed. Oh, good. Can you, so like if you if you see like the the provider of like the services up at Hearst Castle pulled out, but they said okay, but we own the name Hearst Castle. Oh, can you imagine we have to call it the residence formerly formerly occupied by William Randolph Hearst or yeah. something like that? Yeah. So that was kind of cool, actually. Somebody, <laughs> something in government where everybody agreed. And it was such a significant thing too. The, the yeah. Doritos Hearst yeah. Castle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a corporate sponsor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Welcome yeah. to Pepsi's Hearst Castle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like every you know. ballpark we love right. is right. now exactly. And people say, uh, "Where are you going?" And I say something that like reveals how old I am. It's like, "Oh, it's it's at Jack Murphy." It's what? Yeah. Qualcomm. That's gone. Yeah. <laughs> now it's, crazy. Now you got like Petco, Petco Monster, yeah. uh, AT&T, yeah. Qualcomm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Actually, In fact, the, the government can, can agree on stuff. You can have that if you want, Jim. Mm-hmm. Introduce Pepsi to Hearst Castle and see if you can't make a yeah. little money off of that, making yeah. it now Pepsi Hearst Castle. Yeah. 
They probably <laughs> just call it Pepsi Castle. Pepsi. Castle. No need for the old name in no, there. Not at all. <laughs> oh boy. Oh yeah. Look at there. One more time. Let's do it before the end of the hour. <laughs> the second break to thank the sponsors. Uh-huh. All right, let's do it. I I really do. I have some stuff to talk about with you in terms of the uh, appraisal. More stuff came out about appraisal. Thought it was interesting. So um, we'll talk about that after the break. Stick around after the short break for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' Little League games. I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 01839608. NMLS number 328358. Welcome back. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with hosts Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now, here's Dan and Jason. Heavy-looking clouds out there, gray. It's nice, nice little picture. I know you get a, you get the full view. You yeah. got this wonderful window here. I'm still, still getting used to this great, great new studio. Yeah, I'm waiting for the it's, new carpet though. I, I talked to him about that this week. So when are we getting the carpet? And so, that's what's kinda, wrong with this carpet? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if I'd have little... remembered that this carpet looked like this, I wouldn't have worn my flip flops yeah. today. I'd have put on my hunting boots. Yeah. <laughs> it's the work of We did get the blinds. We got to Dan and Dan and I got to enjoy the blinds last yeah, week. Yeah, when it was bacon in here. Uh-huh. Oh, was it real sunny? Oh yeah. <laughs> By the way, Jason, there's a new way of contacting the show too. There is. Uh, you don't know about this one yet, but you can also use all the phone numbers. But you know how people would call in sometimes and relay a question to me. 
Yeah. It's very simple right now. If you have a computer, just Jim at 920kvec.com. It goes right straight to me. Type in your question. Cool. If you don't want to actually ask it on the air. So uh -huh. the phone numbers are there, but you haven't heard about that one. Jim at 920kvec.com. I got my email open. So Perfect. Mm -hmm. Cool. So you guys have been talking about the appraisal thing. We and, have a little uh, bit, yeah. So there were some interesting stats that came out this week. Um, tracking since TRID happened, which what's TRID? We're a year now. Huh. Because it's October. Came out on October 3rd, right? TRID. For those of you who are new to the show, that's the TILA RESPA integrated, integrated disclosure. disclosure. Yeah. Combining several forms that were... Um, separate forms and hard to understand now into, into one, one longer hard to understand form with very important timelines and um, requirements for accuracy. So yeah, since TRID came out, which was a year ago, maybe I should just say that a year ago, uh, we started tracking this metric. Um, appraisal turn times in the last year have increased by an average 5.7 days for purchase loans and 6.3 days for refinances. Um, this, these days represent an 81% and 79% respective increases in those times. Hmm. So it's quite a bit longer. I mean, 81% increase in turn times to get an appraisal. Um, and of course, this has got a lot of people talking. This is not a local issue. As you guys have been talking about it in my absence, I'm sure you've talked enough about what it means locally. It sounds like based on what you described from Colorado, we should be thankful that we're doing as well as we are. I'd say we're close to averaging, I, I'd venture to say 12 days right now on a purchase seems what I'm, unless of course you get out into something remote and hard to access like Santa Margarita or Los Osos, then of course, you know, that it needs an extended turn time and an increased fee. You guys can't see my face. That was sarcastic um, look I had right there. But um, so, yeah, it's it's a it's a phenomenon that's going on all over the place. And so now there's these attempts to come back and figure out a few things. Number one, do we need to get away from appraisals altogether? Hmm. I saw a lot of um, conjecture this week about whether or not we should move to like the BPO model. Remember BPOs? Um, so a BPO broker, broker price opinion. Yeah. So and they so solicit a real estate agent to give their opinion of value basically on an appraisal type of form to come up with comparable listings and comparable solds and attempt to just like an appraiser would probably with a little bit less expertise in the actual, like really fine adjustments of it, but basically come up with a loose range where we could have some confidence. I remember a lot of BPOs would have like a confidence rating of like zero to five, five being like, this is a slam dunk. It's like a home in a track. It's just like every other house around it. And it's the exact same price as the last five that sold. That's a five get down into shell beach and you've got little postage stamp lots with little eclectic houses of different ages and sizes and some are two story and some are one story and some are very new and some are kind of lean to um, it's harder to sort of pin down a value there where you could see price per square foot vary by more than $200 per foot, given the quality and condition and age of the home. So those, you could still attempt to do a BPO, but you might have a lower confidence rate. You, know, you might say, I think it's worth 700 grand, but it's a confidence too. 
You know, and if that concerns you, dig farther in. Um, and by the way, the significance of the confidence five or the confidence two, for me as an underwriter, that's what I want to know because now I can say, well, my borrower is a confidence five. He's a 30% loan to value. So you can give me an appraisal opinion of a confidence one. And I'm okay with that because he's so, he's got so much equity that you could, you could cut his value by $300,000 and there's still enough for me to make this deal versus the flip side of the coin if you're asking to borrow 100% value and now you give me a, a price opinion of a property that's a confidence too, I could potentially be making a fully leveraged loan that's starting out upside down because my information lacks that confidence, right? So anyway, there's some thought about that. Should we just begin moving towards the BPO system? Well, there's pros and cons to it. No decisions are being made yet. Um, but interestingly enough, the other thing that was sort of being talked about that is, it's, it's nice to see it beginning to be quantified here um, was, first of all, there are reportedly less than 80,000 appraisers now in the U.S. That's a 20% decline from the period of 2007 to 2015. Wow. The housing stock didn't change too much in that period. We know that it was kind of radical, the ups and downs, lots of regula regulation, new legislation about who can order an appraisal and how it can be ordered and what the appraiser has to do. Also, um, in an attempt to sort of um, standardize the appraisal process, the values and fields and things that you might get away with saying now has been really um, cut down. Like you, you can't just say, oh, it's regular. Oh, actually now, if you want to talk about condition, there's these very specific adjust. It's you condition this, yeah, condition four, it. condition three, condition two. And you give those for each of the comps. And where there's a difference between comp one and comp two, where one, this was condition four, and this one's condition three, now the appraiser is expected to say, why did you choose condition three versus two? And he says, oh, well, the kitchen was updated five years ago in comp one and 15 years ago in comp two. That condition, that warrants that condition change. So point being that the standardization of the reports and the time and stuff that goes into them has gotten more difficult. The fees by and large have gone down now that we've moved to the, to the appraiser. Now that we've moved over to the appraisal management structure that, you know, kind of, I guess Dodd-Frank is ultimately requiring. Um, now we've inserted this level of management that control it. Um, and so it used to be that you bought an appraisal for 300 bucks and you paid the appraiser 300 bucks. Today, you, the consumer should expect to buy an appraisal for 500 bucks and the appraiser gets 300 bucks. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of like the way it's going. Um, obviously, some deviation in that to some degree, but so really the consumer's almost paying double, the appraiser is paying the same. You wonder why they're jumping ship going to other professions or also it's not lucrative for them to go train into it. Well, we know now we're seeing a lot of pushback on appraisals as far as pricing goes. I solicited some feedback from a local appraiser here in the last week, and I got some interesting feedback I wanted to share with you. He is saying that in a typical market, 
when the fee is you know between four fifty and five hundred dollars for a regular conventional appraisal, the appraiser would receive somewhere around three hundred and fifty dollars for that order. So that means the AMC is receiving somewhere between a hundred and a hundred and fifty dollars to manage this process. A thirty percent fee. Yeah, they're getting a a good cut of it. Um, but he's saying now in this market, obviously there's a lot more work, a lot more demand for their services. So now they're what we're seeing is with all this increased demand, they're, they're charging more. Um, he said one house that he saw in Paso Robles, he didn't appraise. He was actually the realtor on this property, the listing agent. Um, he said that the appraiser charged $850 for this report. A 1,200-square-foot home in Paso Robles and all of the comps were within two to four blocks. So it's not like there's great travel... So you can look at this one of two ways. One is that appraiser extorted some cash because he could. Possibly. And possibly there's rush fees involved here. We don't know exactly how the the thing went down. Yeah. But I also wanted to share, you know, that was just one example. Goes on to say that typically what he's seeing in this market, locally, in, in this current environment of activity, that appraisers are charging upwards of $550. And I wasn't quite clear on whether that was the appraisal appraiser cut or the total appraisal fee. I kind of took that it was the appraiser's cut, meaning that the, the total fee to the customer was probably in the 650 range. Yeah. Um, but he said that's typical of what he's seeing. And then for things that are a little more complicated, the fees go up from there. Sure. So it, it's interesting. Um and, you know, it's required. We, loans today are under, underwritten first to an automated underwriting engine, whether it be Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac's engine. And that engine will tell you if an appraisal is required or not. And if it is, you absolutely have to get an appraisal and you're, you're kind of Going stuck. through this. Yeah, this is what you go through. Yeah, and by the way, those appraisal waivers right now, we're really only seeing them for owner-occupied homes, loan amounts less than $417,000 rate and term transactions or, um, well, and or a reduction in term if you're doing like a 15-year loan. Um, and and also generally, too, you had to have had some kind of transaction with that property in the last five years. Hmm. Like it has to. So if you buy it two years ago for 500000 and it all clears then, and you put $200,000 down, right? So you have mm-hmm. to do an appraisal, $300,000 loan against $500,000 property. Two years later, you come in and you say, I want to do this again. Now my loan amount's going to be two eighty-five, dollars and I'm just going to say the value's five hundred. dollars The system's pretty confident in that. Nothing changed. We know the market's been stable to increase in the last two years, so fine. This guy doesn't need an appraisal. If he's going to try to take cash out or didn't have that good data from a couple years ago, you're going to end up needing an appraisal. I've long um, believed that that's the way it should be. I think when when a person has a history of paying their mortgage on time and they're not taking equity out, why do we need an appraisal? I don't understand. Especially, I mean, I understand if it's a declining market, maybe. Even still, even, well, even when the homes were upside down. I'll answer you this this way. <laughs> Is if I have, if I'm the guy at the bank setting the requirements, um, it's easy for me to make you jump that hoop. You know what, guys? It's pretty customary. Get me an appraisal. And you do it. But guess what? Guess when it's going to change? When at the bank, I go, hey, how come business sucks? Why are my transactions taking two or three months? 
my volume's down. Oh, it's the appraisals. Oh, you know, let's figure out how we can get away from needing an appraisal on everything. Well, there's some of that. I hear what you're saying, but you're describing it like it's the shady Wells Fargo CEO who's, you know, mastering this scheme to require appraisals or not. But really, that it's easy to just require them. But the requirement doesn't come from the banks lending the money. It comes from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Sure. And most banks will honor what the the agency automated findings tell you Agreed. as far as appraisals go. So, so so if you don't move over into the BPO system or start reducing the transactions that require appraisals, um, you need more appraisers. So um, interestingly enough, let me tell you just real quick, because I know we're about to hit the break too, but what it takes to be an appraiser right now, <laughs> it's crazy. A four-year degree, pass an exam, and then an internship of 2,500 to 3,000 hours. If you like numbers, 3,000 hours divided by 40 hours a week, if you're that guy that gets away with working 40 hours a week, that's only 75 weeks without a vacation, where you're going to work, that's 52 weeks in a year, you're going to work for a year and a half straight without taking a break, um... And by the way, you need to be trained by somebody that's doing it currently. They're pretty busy, if you haven't heard. So they're going to train you, supervise you. Probably have to pay you. Do they want to pay you? I mean, for a year and a half, you're going to work for no money? And then what? (laughs) And then you're going to get your full license and then become the competition, willing to work for the reduced fee? (laughs) So they're not too inclined to help with that. It's onerous to get into the system. So there's your third option. So we had more BPOs. Second option is uh, less transactions require appraisal. Figure out how to use waivers. Third option would be um, drop the requirements of what an appraiser needs to be an appraiser. (laughs) Hey, guys, it's the top of the hour break, so we got about five minutes here. Go out and water the dog, get some fresh coffee, do what you got to do. We'll be back for a whole other hour of Mortgage Matters. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Rhythmics, Annie Lennox. So, so like synthesized and produced. Definitely 80s. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely 80s. Hey guys, welcome back. Here on the Ides of October. It's after 10 o'clock here. We got less than an hour to go before it's weekend time. Why why are you looking at me like that? The Ides of October. (laughs) Yeah, the 15th. The Ides of October. 
Hmm. I wasn't totally done talking about this appraiser thing, by the way. We sort of like got going on it right into the break. Um, I started to say right, right before we went off, off the air, there is, um, one of the really interesting challenges is this barrier to entry for appraisal. Yeah. Yeah, Super difficult to go. It's, it's almost like it's set up for failure. Like you kind of mentioned, um, during the break years ago, a short decade ago, there's a lot of appraisal firms. Yeah. So you had this appraisal firm would have dozens of employees and as sort of a natural part of growing and maintaining that business, you got to be bringing in the fresh blood. Well, and, and it made sense because the firm took a cut of the appraiser's fee. Sure. Just like in a mortgage company or a real estate company or lots of companies where they that's how the firm works. So today, most of the shops that we deal with, I mean, there's a few of them. What's that one that's got like four names in it? It sounds like a law firm. We had them on the show and it's like STMJ or S. Yeah. A lot of the appraisers that I know are just a a one-off self-employed gal or a guy. that the AMC process, that's really all it needs to be. You can be an appraiser who signs up with the AMC and you don't need to work for a bigger company. And kind of a cool job, by the way. I mean, you always hear people belly aching and moaning about, oh, the appraiser. Check it out. The appraiser guy or gal at home in the morning opens up the old computer, sees that there's an order and says, I'll take it. 300 bucks. It's right here in my town. 350 bucks, like you said. I mean, that's on the low side, maybe as much as 500 bucks. And so what are they going to do? Go out. Do an inspection, take some pictures, drag the tape around, kind of stand out curbside and get a feel for what's going on in that neighborhood. If you've been an appraiser for years, though, by the way, most of the time you already really know the house and neighborhood. Oftentimes these appraisers have appraised this house two and three times before. Mm -hmm. Most of the appraisers that we see here in town have been working for 20 years here in town. So they go, oh, they pull up the report they did five years ago. And they have a pretty good head start. But otherwise, so you go out to the property, get a feel for it, look around, drag your tape around, do some sketching, floor plan, um, observe the neighborhood, the environment, take a picture of the street scene, you know, get all the pictures that you need to have. Go back to the office, start inputting it into the system. Put the pictures in the right places, make the adjustments against the listings and the solds and and try to hone in on something where, you know, based on all of the data that you have available to you that, you know, doing your most reasonable job you can to come up with a value. And um, I asked a couple of appraisers just a, a few weeks ago as we were trying to kind of figure out how much they're getting paid and what goes into it. How many reports a day can you do? This guy said, um, you could probably do a report in a half a day if they were pretty standard. So you could be, I mean, if you, I don't know what your overhead is, but if you're working out of like your home office and stuff like that, but if you can do a report in a half a day, you could do, I mean, let's round it down to seven a week. 300 bucks a rip, you can make a couple thousand bucks a week. You know, that's 8,000 bucks a month. That's a hundred grand a year. That's a pretty sick gig for, 
being self-employed at home and sort of, you know, once you sign up with the AMCs, you're not out beating the bushes every day. Like the dude, the sales guy doing the, you know what it takes to make a hundred grand a year on a sales job? You gotta, you gotta work a pretty heavy lap. It's a lot of work. Um, and again, I'm not suggesting that it's a, that it's an easy profession or something like this, but it's a pretty lucrative one at the same time. But you got to get somebody now has to train you. You train their future competition to do this and you got to work so long for free. What would you do if you had to work for 75 weeks for basically for free? You got to move back in with mom. And it sounds like the requirement here is also that you should have a four-year degree. So chances are... I mean, you're not 18, you're 23. You've got student loan bills now because you've got a college education. Most people that go to college have student loan bills. Now you got student loan bills, living at home with mom, working for free for a year and a half. Try to get this thing. So now when you're 26, now you're going to hit the ground running. I find it kind of funny that the appraiser is the only one in the entire real estate transaction process that's required to have a four-year degree. (laughs) Yeah. Why? I don't, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. I think obviously more education, the better for any person in any job, but why, why isn't a realtor or a a lender required to have a four-year degree? A broker, appraiser is a broker like me. You have to have a four-year degree or five years of experience working for an existing broker. You can't just fire right up and do that. So that's to run the entire company. And I'm going to argue, I've, I've, I don't generally bring these things up. I don't like to talk about any weaknesses of mine. It's just a, not the kind of guy I am. Would you feel comfortable, Dan? You, you've known me well for years. Would you feel comfortable with me owning a real estate company tomorrow? No, it's a completely <laughs> different business. But I have the license. Right. I, and I got it without having to work for another licensed broker because I have a four-year degree. So, and by the way, the other exception that's given here is for lawyers. If you're a member right. of the bar, then you can get your broker's license right away too, which again, you've already yeah, the done. the four-year degree. Right. In um, fact, I think you don't even need a license as an attorney, right? You do, but some of the education requirements are just different. Hmm. So it's interesting here. Um, so like I said, I... I would not go do a real estate transaction tomorrow. There's so much you need to know. There's so many forms. There's so much stuff that just put pitfall after pitfall. I could do it. I could learn it. I'm going to have to go lean on somebody that knows how to do it to guide me through that, keep me from wrecking my life or others. Um, so that's just a funny thing. The, the licensing thing I think is interesting. Um, how does my four-year degree translate into my knowledge to be a broker, not only to be a broker, but to own a brokerage and have people work for me. You could totally be the blind leading the blind. Maybe you wouldn't last that long, but you could totally do it. It's kind of crazy. So the next thought about this too, because my eldest son is in high school now. So we're having lots of these conversations. What do you want to do? What do you want to be? Where do you want to go? And we flip flop. He tells me, I don't want to go to college. I want to go learn a trade. Okay, I can get behind that. It makes a lot of sense to me. And then the next week, ah, I probably want to go to college in San Diego. It looks fun to go to college in San Diego. All right, well, 
I'm not paying for you to go to college for fun, so you better have a pretty good plan. Um, so we kind of evaluate everything that we look at. Would I encourage him to be an appraiser? Uh, right now? Probably not. It sounds like the whole profession's like put the option one we were talking about before the break is get rid of the requirement of needing an appraiser, switch to something like a BPO or something automated. Maybe, maybe you only need an appraisal on 20% of transactions or something like that. So you, you want to race to do that? You want to race to go meet all these hoops, jump, jump all these hoops, meet these requirements, go work for somebody for free for a year and a half and get rip roar and grab the job where they go, Oh, sorry. You 80,000 appraisers out there. We'd, it's just changed a little bit. We're going to do it different. And by the way, just like real estate agents and loan officers, the average age of the appraiser is in their 50s. So if it's declined 20% in the last 10 years, how much is it going to decline in the next 10 years and the next 20 years? You end up in a position where the the housing industry, things like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac that make these bigger rules like you're talking about, they're going to end up having to say, well, we're, we can't keep requiring appraisals because we like, like the housing crisis where we didn't build enough homes for 10 years. We didn't prepare enough appraisers for 10 years, for 20 years. Now they're retiring. They're on their way out. So... And then the next part of that conversation for me, like in terms of like, would I encourage my son to, to go down that path? It's like, well, if you want to go work in housing um, and, and really focus on that, imagine what you could do with four years of hard work and experience inside a busy brokerage or a busy lending institution, and then a year and a half of unpaid internship where you work 40 hours a week for 75 weeks to really get it down pat. Would any of those environments, would you be any more ahead if you did that than going to be a residential appraiser? I don't know. It's an interesting thing. Kind of, kind of crazy. What do you think? I mean, where I feel like it's hard to imagine an environment where appraisals go away completely. It sounds like, through the engines that underwrite loans, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's engines, that they're kind of on this path to doing away with them on a lot of rate and term refinance it transactions. It seems really obvious to me that they're on a path to getting rid of appraisals on refis in general. I, I really do think that you're a couple years away from appraisals not being required for any sort of a rate and term refinance. If you're reducing your rate, or reducing your term without accessing equity and no mortgage lights that it just, what's the point? We're already pretty confident in your value. We made you the loan a few years ago, and now you've demonstrated by making on-time payments. What's the biggest risk for me? It's not the value of your home. It's whether you still have a job. Do you still pay your bills on time? Do you still have savings? We can evaluate all of that without taking into consideration what's going on with your property. I could see it from a, again, from a risk standpoint where I'm concerned about whether my firm's making an intelligent decision to loan you money or not. Um, I could see it going the way like VA where we need a termite report. It's cheaper. It's easier. It's somebody to get 
eyes in your property to look around and say, is there water leaks? Is the roof need to be replaced? It's sort of an inspection to say, is this place in standard acceptable condition that's not a full-blown appraisal? And by the way, they require that on every single VA loan. You do like a streamlined refi where you don't have to have an appraisal. You have to have a termite inspection. Remember the days of the drive-by appraisal? Yeah. You don't have to go in. That got us into a whole heap of trouble. You don't even... I mean, you never, you never even know the appraiser was there because they literally don't even have to get out of their car. Mm-hmm. They could snap a photo, f- roll down the window of their car, snap a photo of the outside of your house, and that's that's sufficient. Basically, just make sure the house is there, and then it's not a total piece, you know, that you can see from the street. That it's it's not, sure. you know, been completely neglected. Yeah. I mean, How would they do that though? Because I mean, you can you could see well, it's the neglected. Maybe it's not the prettiest house on the outside, but hey, you did a lot of work to the inside. You fixed everything, and now you're just moving to the outside. Well, know? it's not mm. just condition. Um, that's yeah. that's definitely a part of it. Yeah. Here's what I can tell today without an appraisal. I can go to public records, and I can see that your house is a three-bedroom, two-bath, built in 1984. It's a single-family detached residence. It's 1,622 square feet. I can tell all of that stuff from public records with or without I- any other assistance. And then appraisers are usually members of MLS, so they can go see the most recent listing data. Yeah, it was which so, actually usually has interior photos. And, and if a property was totally rehabbed five years ago, as it was last sold as a a flip where it had a brand new kitchen and a brand new roof and interior and exterior paint, that can give you some pretty good confidence. Yeah. The other thing, too, is that um, I, I want to go back and further support my claim about how and why I think rate and term refinances are going to get rid of the appraisal requirement. Because of that standardization we talked about earlier, this was something where, as we're getting in there under the the uniform requirements of what fields go in what boxes, in the last half a decade here now, that data is being captured. So... Every property, which now means the further we get down this road, right? Let me, let's take your street, for example. On your street, there's 100 houses. When we first started capturing the data, we had none. We didn't know what any of the values were for those boxes on those reports up and down your street. But how many of them have refied? Right. Now? I was going to say, you've got to believe that most households have either sold or been refinanced in the last, you know, since 2008. Let's say I mean, because rate, rates have hit record lows, his, you know, all-time lows. Right. And or people have, you know, done their thing where they move or, you know, whatever. Chances are most homes have gone through some kind of appraisal process in sure. the last eight years. So now you sort of have these reports where you're getting some confidence level about what that home is worth. And then you couple that confidence uh, with the confidence you have in the the character and credit worthiness of the borrower, right? So before too long, like I said earlier, if you are trying to borrow maximum value or doing something that makes me go, I need to... I need to be a lot more confident in the value of your property now. Now I might go require an appraisal from you, even on a refi. But for the most part, on rate and term refinances, there's no value to me understanding what's going on with your property. 
again, something, a, a good substitution, I think the entire industry would accept this, by the way, is you're going to get a BPO and a termite report. Broker price opinion of the property, where the broker is going to say, oh, that neighborhood, that size house, the range is 500 to 580. And you go, cool, 500 is good for my transaction. I don't even need to move to the high end of your spectrum. And now the termite guy comes in and says, yeah, this house looks good. We got no fungus, no dry rot, no evidence of water leaks or, you know, these issues. Um, everybody should be pretty satisfied in that. Why not? So I, I think that based on all of those, the the data that's being captured, the confidence based on how many transactions have happened, your track record as a borrower, you'll still give us your pay stubs and your credit report and all these kind of things. We'll still, we'll be able to get plenty confident. You know, I, I think that's probably going to be how they, they um, s sort of start to bridge this gap. And then after a while, it'll probably be that you're going to need an appraisal if you're taking cash out. If you're, um, if you have a credit score that's less than 660, you know, you, you probably might because, because your that character, layer, that risk layer yeah, is high, elevated. Your character and credit worthiness causes us to need to go a step farther. But when you come in here and you're like, oh, I've worked for Cal Poly for 15 years, I'm on a W-2, I have 800 credit score, and I'm just trying to get myself a lower payment or a shorter loan term, that's not something where you need to drag somebody through the mud of taking a month or two or three months like you described in Colorado to get a, a, an appraisal done. And here's another thing. With, with the ability to capture data now, we have even more information than ever before, and just in, was it September or October, uh, credit reporting agencies moved to a more um, more in-depth reporting system now, where not only do we see that you've paid your bills on time every month for the last but 24 how? months, but now we're able to see how much did you pay each month. So for some bills, like an installment loan, like an auto loan, you know, you, you have your minimum monthly payment, and that's usually what you pay. Same with credit cards. Well, s credit cards are a little different. There's different types of payers when it comes to credit cards. And now we're able to see, are you the type of payer that you pay your bill in full every month, regardless of the minimum payment? Because that matters. Or are you the type of person that just pays that 25 bucks and lets the rest of the balance ride, and you're racking up that interest every yeah. month or you're just running or, the treadmill <laughs> or are you kind of in the middle you know sometimes you pay it off sometimes you pay just a little we see that and you're going to be classified now based on your pay um, history um, into three different categories of a payer yeah so we have so much more data on you as as a as a borrower of credit and by the way, the other before. thing, too, is that the credit companies are also looking at including different metrics into the report. Like if you rent, what's your rental history? Do you pay on the 1st or the 15th or the 30th? Um, your HOA fees. There's different bills that people pay every month. <laughs> One of the loan officers in the company yesterday came into my office, was laughing and said, yeah, this guy is trying to sell me on AT&T doing... If you go to AT&T now, you can bundle these different services. You can get your DirecTV, your 
internet, your um, cell phone, and all your stuff through one. And the sales guy at AT AT&T said, yeah, but I don't recommend it because then if you don't pay your bill, you lose everything. And it was like, really? That's weird. Who do you, are you in the practice of not paying your bills? <laughs> you need to you need to have diversity of providers so that when you don't pay your bills, then you don't, you don't lose it cut all off. at once. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Um, I suppose we're just used to paying uh, our bills and working with people who pay their bills. Is there something called budgeting and living within your means? Right. <laughs> um, What's that? So yeah, we're becoming much more sophisticated, and I can tell you, like I see in the industry based on some of these things that have been changing these requirements that have been coming about i can see how they're building a database mm-hmm. and the database the longer it runs is going to have greater confidence and then the greater the confidence the more now you can start to say okay we've got such a high level of confidence in the property you can get your level of confidence on the borrower or borrowers pretty pat too yeah so once you can pair up high confidence on both let's lessen some of the burden we started to get there before the recession but we tied it only to credit score 760 credit you don't need to verify income you don't need to verify assets you don't need an appraisal you can do a drive-by and it was like well i was foolish now we now we didn't have now basically we have no confidence in anything except the credit report and one of the things we learned through this last recession was that um, oftentimes that 760 borrower was one of the more sophisticated ones that came up with the, I'm out, <laughs> here's the keys, it's not a good investment. Um, the other people that we thought all along were like, we should keep a close eye on those 680, 660 guys. That's kind of the the working middle class salt of the earth person. Um, they weren't so quick to go throw the keys over. So, you know, we didn't hold on to the confidence measures that we needed to be degrading the requirements to borrow. Whereas now I think we're we're heading into a new area where technology is allowing us to have a bunch of confidence in the different aspects of the loan and we can begin to be a little bit more lenient. I suspect that's coming. And now you mentioned it. Um, the feds are beginning to talk about the scarcity of housing and these different challenges. You're beginning to see nationwide stats now about how appraisals are causing 80% increases in um, turn times and, and causing delays in like 50% of transactions. You get down to these parts where it's like, okay, well, that's the next thing that really needs to be addressed then. And perhaps we've been a bit too conservative about it. But interestingly enough, when you have this conversation, the next one is, should you have to have an appraisal on a purchase transaction? Non-arm's length. You're, I don't know you. You don't know me. You offered your home through sale. You worked with a real estate firm to come up with a value. You listed it to the general public. All of the people in the community that were in the market for that property competed for it. And I happened to be the one that won. Why then is how is that not the fair market value for that property? So I mean, it, what's the, the appraisal is trying to protect you from, you know, assigning a value to a property that's that's far above what it's actually worth in the fair market. And that could be. So in the purchase side, we saw this. We saw this in 2000, the early 2000s. We saw 
what were called straw buyers. Yeah. Right. These people that appeared to be arm's length coming in and buying homes at value, inflated values sure. and flipping them over and over to straw buyer after straw buyer and inflating the value. And then someone finally runs with the money. Right. Um, it's hard as the underwriter or the bank or whoever's evaluating the loan package to decide to, to really truly determine if it is arm's length. Because you can have two unrelated people, Jim and I, Nowhere on paper could you say that we're related unless no. you happen to know, listen to this show and know that we do the show together. Yeah. Most people wouldn't know that we have any kind of relationship whatsoever and we could orchestrate a straw buyer type of situation. Sure. So the, the appraisal protects against that situation in a purchase. That's really the big risk in a purchase. In a cash out refi, you know, you're well, harvesting equity, you're protecting that, hey, is the house really in the same condition that it was last time I'd, we did an appraisal? I'd suggest and introduce one more thing about that, too, is that I'm going to suggest that the appraiser is going to protect me from myself. Okay. I'm caught up in the home buying sure. transaction. And that's another great point. I'm writing offers that are getting declined. I found a house that my wife loves, so she has to have it. And I'm like, I'm not losing this one. So I write... 5% over list price. Well, some other guy too. So now the both of us, now we're fighting for it. And and now we're paying, and, and you know, maybe it was already listed at the peak of what was rational for that market. And now we've competed with each other. And emotionally, I've drugged myself to a position where I'm not based on math. I'm A, the pride of winning, B, a must-have property, and C, desperation. I, yeah, just <laughs> it's a crisis. I Have mean, you looked around? So the appraiser might be able to protect me from myself. Yeah. This phenomenon you're describing, there's books written about it. Yeah. Irrational exuberance, I think, is the term <laughs> that it's been given. And it's when you get caught up in that frenzy of... Of needing to keep up, feeling like you're going to be priced out forever and, you know, that kind of thing. It, it, it's something well, where and you it's do hard. need to calm down. It's and... really hard <laughs> when you go to sell a property, all of a sudden, like, the all of the emotions of it as the seller now are different. You're thinking about things in a totally different way. And if you're in a position where you're selling to buy, now you're experiencing all of the emotions on two different sides. I'm wanting to maximize what I can get out of selling my property. At the same time, I'm wanting to get a fantastic deal on the buy of the property that I'm going to buy next. And in all of that, I think you get caught up in if you're not really careful and have some people helping guide you through it, like appraisers and realtors and lenders that will kind of help take some of that emotion out of it. Because we're emotional beings. All people are. And so I think that's just always been the desire is we've got escrow being a neutral third party, making sure that nobody on the one, two, three, drop the keys for the bag of cash that nobody goes, ah, I got them both <laughs> or that the, the realtors, you know, are sort of, they come up with their values and they help, they help give Advocating you counsel for each of their clients. Yeah, they give you counsel on what you should offer. That's a good offer to get it, but not overpay. And then the realtor representing the sellers 
helping provide counsel to them about how to maximize their takeaway without scaring the buyer away from the transaction. Then you got the appraiser that's coming through saying, hey, you know, those the realtors, they did a fantastic job of both counseling their sides. This is what the neutral guy up the middle says about it. Um, and you kind of put all that stuff together. There's all these little checks and balances. And I think in the end, they're all intended to prevent fraud and collusion, also to regulate that emotional aspect of it that we just we can't do a very good job of of doing that ourselves. Um, that's why we sort of have this whole thing built the way that it is. That's the one thing about the appraisals. Um, if the appraiser goes away completely and we allow it then to just be a machine, I think you begin to lose a little bit of that. Um, but I like the the idea of confidence levels and and that leading to different levels of appraisal review. You know, the sure. the no appraisal, the BPO, the drive by, the full inspection. Yeah, I love that. And if I because if I'm your neighbor and I go, I'm I'm rich. I I I don't I could give this property away, but instead I'm going to sell it to my nephew. He has a different last name because it's my my wife's brother's kid, but I'm going to sell it to him for 200 grand. And now all of a sudden your, your neighbor, there's a comp and the computer can't tell. Right. So now there's a comp for 200 grand. Your $800,000 house is now, oh my gosh, we better average that in. Now it's worth 600 grand. Something's wrong in the neighborhood. Those are the kind of things that computers flaw. You Now you need humans to come and try to figure out where the computer messed up the formula, right. where the confidence got skewed. Um you know, I so there there's just some there's some balance in there, but I suspect like what you just described, it's how it's gonna go. These transactions require a full appraisal, these transactions require a drive by with a BPO, these transactions require just a drive by with a termite report, these transactions require just a termite report, and these transactions you just get the pass. We're so confident. Um that would take the heat off of this whole turn time issue of appraisals. So, and the lack of new pe- people becoming appraisers. Right. It'll be interesting to see how it shapes up. Yeah. And since we just got a new contract or almost a new contract for Mortgage Matters here. Yay. We'll be keeping you awesome. guys up to speed on <laughs> yeah. the changes as they roll out. Yeah. Must be that new pay raise for me or something. I don't know. Are you getting Did a you pay get a raise? raise? Yeah. Awesome. Congratulations. I was reading just yesterday. <laughs> oh, it's Don't not done it. yet? Do you need me to call and kind of oh, advocate no. on your behalf? Yeah, that'd be good. I saw yesterday a report about employees, um, reasons people leave jobs. Number one, compensation. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Number two. So why, why do we all go to work? Yeah. Number two paid. was benefits. If you didn't have like sufficient benefit package with your employer's benefits, number three was um, the work environment. So happiness. Yeah. <laughs> and then number four was opportunity for advancement, whether or not you felt like there was any room for you to go up anywhere. Well, if it had been like an environment, then I would have left at El Dorado. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> so, you know, number one, yeah, this is awesome. number one's always that compensation. No. Though. You got to be getting paid what you think you're worth. No, Americans don't. Or you go shop They're your good. resume. Yeah. All right, guys, commercial break time. We'll be back in a couple minutes with more Mortgage Matters. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. 
What they offer is the quality of their people. Agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Give yourself the best possible chance to buy your dream home with our 21-day close. We get you fully pre-approved before you find your house so you can write a shorter, easier offer and beat out the competition. It's time for you to be the offer that gets accepted. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. roads are probably pretty slick today i noticed uh, i was brought this up in the motormouth show that um coming in because i come in the back roads now because we're on the east side of san luis not the west uh-huh. so i come in noise road to 227 out of ag and it you know took a little bit longer to stop coming down there noise road were you skidding out no i wasn't skidding out but you just gotta remember <laughs> yeah i was almost to the intersection and i was like oh wow where's that uh, limit line oh yeah it's kind of Almost halfway through the car. Right did so, you yeah, wave into yeah, people yeah, as you stop, slide yeah, on through? Yeah, did you so. feel your anti-lock <laughs> yeah. brakes kind of shuddering yeah, while it was like yeah, trying yeah. to slow you down you in your hot rod? Down. Yeah, you just got to slow down. Man. Yeah. Yeah, roads are so. slick on that first train of the year. Uh-huh. All the oil washes up to the top and just right there. Yeah. yeah. I um, I could have told you it was going to rain today. I washed my truck yesterday. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> a good idea. There you are. And then, um, Thanks. but yeah, you're the guy. Yeah, there it is, right? <laughs> I'm doing what I can. I brought some back from Hawaii, yeah. and I washed my truck. <laughs> Jason is, a, is just looking the, out for the best interest of the Central Coast here. The, when I so when I parked here, I hopped out and looked at my truck, and um, it was so like there's like this black grime all over the sides of it, and I was like, "Geez, the roads are dirty." 
Mm-hmm. That's that slick stuff. So yeah. people got to slow down. You know, there's a parade going on right now in Atascadero too. <laughs> Colony oh. Days parade is oh. going down El Camino Real. Cool. That suck right now. Well, that'd be fun. <laughs> but can well, you imagine having to like you know? I come down. I come down Kerberil, heading down to the freeway. And right there on my right at the light at Kerberil <laughs> and El Camino Real is mm-hmm. Tyrific, or as we call it, Ty OK. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and there was a marching band getting together right there with all their uniforms and their big hats and their <laughs> shiny instruments in the rain. Mm-hmm. I was like, Good oh, for them. California Central Coast Parade Day. The marching band is getting rained on. Mm-hmm. I'm just sitting here thinking how what sissies we all are in California. <laughs> yeah, it's a way, little yeah, it's not even like big drops. It's little. It's yeah. drizzle. It's heavy. Ooh, it's raining. And you're like, oh, we got to cancel the parade. You know, no yeah. way. Mm-hmm. It's just water. When I was in when I was on vacation last week too, I um I was keeping up on the Facebook feed and um. I saw that USGS issued an earthquake warning. Did oh, you while guys you were in see Hawaii? That? Well, it was for California. Yeah, while you were in Hawaii, there was this, you know, there's a extremely high likelihood of there being a seven or greater magnitude earthquake on this particular day. Um, and the next day was softball and the world continued on as normal. Yeah. They, <laughs> they stated in this article that I was reading, I forget what news source it was from, but they stated that there was um, like a run on water and like, what are those? Um, this is where you can tell I'm not like a uh-huh. like armed services guy. Yeah, the little pouches. They're called, they have a name. Huh. There's like an acronym for the prepared meal. See, you guys aren't either. Oh, MREs. There you go. Mm -hmm. Meals ready to eat or something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. You have to like. So they were mm -hmm. saying that like all of these stores in Southern California sold out of the clean water and MREs Mm -hmm. and that in San Bernardino, they had some unreinforced masonry buildings that the government Mm -hmm. was electively closing due to this heightened earthquake warning. And I was like, man, that's kind of freaky. It started this conversation, though, um, about earthquake insurance, because my dad, I told him, I was like, man, because they, mm-hmm. they live down like on top of the San Andreas Fault, not very far from where that, um, you know, where they were saying it was but the Salton Sea or whatever was where it was going to happen, mm-hmm. or is where all the increased earthquake activity was. So my dad says, what's your take on earthquake insurance? Mm. Um, earthquake insurance is pretty affordable. I mean, you see it from time to time, right? It's rare. How much is it? I always thought it was expensive. It's, it's cheap. Not. It's like 200 bucks a year for your house. Uh, hmm. That's almost well, it's worth Interestingly it. enough, though, it has like a $50,000 deductible. Mm-hmm. So mm. you got to have more than like some cracks in the drywall and a couple broken windows in order yeah. to like meet the deductible. But in the event that your entire house was flattened. Yeah. You'd be happy to only pay fifty thousand bucks to get your house built back yeah. again, because yeah. your homeowner's insurance will not cover you. Why? Why won't homeowners cover your home? It would bankrupt when a the disaster world. happens. It would bankrupt the God. world. There's not the, the if world it shakes, doesn't experience earthquakes. No, the but Pacific look, Rim experiences. So let's earthquakes. say though that there's a nine I mean, magnitude earthquake in Southern California and it levels ten million homes. You think State Farm is going to survive that? 
aren't they in the job or the business of insuring your home against disaster? They will give you earthquake insurance if you want I'm to buy sure it. I'm sure they will. At what when I want to know cuz earthquake insurance I'm guessing hasn't been around forever. Uh, it's been around for a little while. I think probably once it started getting excluded, which was probably yeah, a few well, decades ago. When did it first get excluded? At one point. Some really bad earthquake, and they're like, uh, we're not going to do that. No, there was probably a report issued where some nerds at the insurance company did some math and said, hey, all along the San Andreas Fault, our exposure is pretty high. If these houses got shaken to the foundation, mm-hmm. we would be totally out of money. So we should exclude earthquake coverage uh, from standard homeowner policies and then offer a supplemental coverage with a high deductible. What That's happens? Probably what what happens when an earthquake causes a fire in your yeah. house for instance? <laughs> You're getting there. Yeah, fire. And I wasn't going to give that response uh, on the air, but I did read in another unrelated article that if your house was leveled in an earthquake, you should go back then and set it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Might have a problem with some handcuffs behind your back on that though. Who knows? But yeah, here was my here is my response though. If we have a magnitude nine earthquake and a Tascadero is shaken so hard that my house is erased to like the slab where it once stood, am I coughing up fifty G's to want to rebuild that? Because all my neighbors aren't. I mean, it's like one percent of the total homes in the U.S. Less than one percent have earthquake insurance. So you're gonna do you really? You're gonna be the guy that gets the house rebuilt. Now, chances are you're gonna be like going somewhere else anyway, where cities are have yeah. still have water or something. I would think there's like some sort of zone thing because like probably where you're more flood to are prone to like tornadoes. Maybe they don't ride as many. That's just that. in a trailer park, I think. Yeah, or like, yeah, or floods, like in the south, where you, I mean, like that bad flood we just had there. They just had well, there. there is separate you flood know? insurance. You know, I'm sure. just, I mean, but in That's the true. south, there so must I'm wondering. Be tornado insurance or and hurricane then, Interestingly yeah. enough, yeah. the whole city floods. Yeah. And so then they rebuild the homes back in the flood zone again. Yeah. And then a few years later, it floods again. Yeah. This is insane to yeah. me. Like the other thing, I mean, not to make well, light of it at all, all, but the... that hurricane that just blew through, what was it? Hurricane Matthew? Yeah. Devastated Haiti. Obviously, it, it I mean, it took too many lives both in Haiti and in Florida and South Carolina. And now they're looking at Nicole, Hurricane Nicole. Yeah. So. Um, mm-hmm. At some point, you got to just say, well, let's not build this stuff right here again. Guys. These hurricanes haven't just started. They've been happening every year forever. Yeah. What's that part? <laughs> so, what's that part when I we think drive? They're going to keep rebuilding. We drive homes. down the one and the hillside down there somewhere. Uh, uh, Slough off and berries. Yeah, Lock and Cheetah. Yeah. Cheetah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They they moved the mud out and then they build another. Now this time, you know, after the that mm. last slide that happened yeah, there, I don't think they bad. rebuilt no. any of them. In fact, I think they're really kind of encouraging people not to go but there. But I'm I'm yeah. thinking like that's a beautiful place to be lucky enough to live. I wouldn't want to live at the base of that no. hillside, knowing that every now and again it sloughs off and kills uh, the people would, that are under it. Yeah, there's something. It's beautiful, and same but thing, yeah. When you drive around in Hawaii, mm-hmm. the most and this is one of the differences about Hawaii and like Morro Bay in Hawaii. 
you'll be on a two-lane road, and there's like a white line on your right side like normal, six or eight inches more of asphalt, and a grass bluff that's like two feet wide with some like volcanic rock and the waves hitting it. The houses on the left side of the road are built on these concrete pylons that are like 25 feet tall, and the houses are all between two and 15 feet off the ground. Yeah. On these like stilts. And I'm just going, I that you're lucky you live in Hawaii, like on the beach and stuff like that. Why on earth would you build a house in a place where you need to build it 20 feet off the ground? Like the storm surge is bad enough, but what about that tsunami when that thing comes? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it got me wondering, I bet there's tsunami insurance, right? I'm sure. Because if you do live there, I'm sure that's been excluded. Yeah. Crazy. You know what? Everybody, move up the hill a little bit. Let's go up the hill. Out of the hurricane zone, out of the tsunami zone. Did you see that thing? those of us in earthquake-prone California, take your chances. Like, you live in Morro Bay up on the hill? Yeah. When the tsunami comes, it's not going to reach your home. But those people that live in the cloisters, they're like, I'm pretty sure they're below sea level in the cloisters. Mm-hmm. It looks below sea level. <laughs> there's like a dune. Yeah. And then there's like houses that I think you go down, you living below sea level. At some point, that I'm telling you, I'm not, I hope to God it never happens, but at some point, that neighborhood's going to flood. And then we're going to go, Oh, yeah. No, it's right there. <laughs> it's like yeah. below sea level. That's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Wild. Anyway. Did you see the So thing? was the earthquake warning lifted? Are we all good now? Yeah. yeah. We're good? Mm-hmm. For how long? Until the next one. Yeah, until the next <laughs> Because no, we just, the we, funny thing is. We go back to the no warning system. Yeah, the funny thing is on. it never happens when they warn. I was working here at KVC in the 2006 <laughs> right. earthquake. They never warned us we were going to have an earthquake on December 23rd, 2006. When I was a kid in Big Bear, we had an earthquake. And I remember a few things about it. I mean, I think I was 14-ish or so, 15. I remember a few things about it. Number one was at 4-ish, 4-10 maybe in the morning, there was an earthquake in Landers that was like a seven point something. Mm-hmm. And it was bad. Like it, it shook us. We got out of bed. Everybody ran crazy. Um, things fell out of every cupboard in the kitchen. It was scary. Like windows in the house broke. It was a real earthquake. And it was not in Big Bear. It was 40 or 60 miles away from Big Bear in a place called Landers. And I, we were all kids, and we were scared. And I remember telling my dad, like, I, I'm scared. Like, we all were trying to sleep on the foot of his bed, right? And one of the things my dad reassured me is, like, hey, there's never two earthquakes in one day. Once that happens, <laughs> uh, yeah. you've survived the worst of it. You're good. So then we're like, oh, okay, dad says we're good. Like three hours later at 7 in the morning now, there's a real earthquake in Big Bear. It was like a 6.9. It was almost as big. And that one went the rest of the way. That one, like, literally shook. It flipped over our refrigerator in the kitchen. The second story to the home, like, fell through. And for whatever dumb reason, the water heater was on the second floor. So then the entire house flooded. Um, It was devastating. Our house was literally condemned. Um, No one warned us about that. In fact, my dad tried to make us think that it was impossible to have two in one day. 
<laughs> so then when I read this article, I was like, well, that's pretty helpful that the USGS is saying, hey, basically, guys, there's a pretty good chance you're going to die today. <laughs> there's a, and it was only because it was 1% over the norm. It wasn't even like a high level of confidence. We're going to do it. We're going to squeeze in a call. We've got Steve calling from San Luis Obispo. Yeah, Steve from the judge's house. I've talked to both of you guys. Uh, yeah. Hi, Steve. How's it going? Great. We're buying a mobile home for our daughter, a actual manufactured 1,200-square-foot house. It's already in a park that's brand new. And uh, I thought it would be a piece of cake because I said, okay, it's $156,500, right? I says, we're going to give $50,000 down and try to get a loan, you know, a normal loan. I never dreamed it would be such a pain. Uh, evidently, the banks don't want to really borrow, I mean, or lend on manufactured houses, although we've got a brand-new 2016 motorhome, had no trouble getting 4.49%, and uh, we only put twenty eight grand down on that. You know, uh, and what's the story? I mean, the motorhome's yeah. driving. We own Precision Driving School. The owner, the the motorhome is driving down the freeway at sixty five miles an hour, and you can get clobbered. You know. You know what's interesting, though. So you're. We don't have a lot of time, but I'll give you the flyby on it. One of the. I'm going to give you my phone number real quick to call me after the show, if you would. It's five four three one seven two zero. Okay. I know that went out over the air if anybody's interested. But <laughs> but go ahead with a flyby on that. Sure. Um all right, first of all, the difference between this proposed residential property and your uh motorhome is that if and when you don't make the payments on the motorhome, there's no eviction necessary. You just get to come take it. We can tow it away with you in it. Um no big deal. It's not hard um, to do that. Legally, it's it's pretty well understood what you're dealing with there. Um, and this is one of the things about manufactured housing that um, is oftentimes overlooked from a risk standpoint is that you, you kind of touching on it. I, I dare say that, that the banks that offer this type of lending do so reluctantly. <laughs> Um, they, they barely want to do it and they only really do it in ideal circumstances. And, um, part of it is just simply that a, those types of homes attract entry level buyers that are oftentimes, um, they're riskier borrowers. They don't have high incomes and high assets and, you know, all these different things. And of course I'm speaking just in generality, but as a, as a rule, as a demographic, it's very entry level housing and therefore it's got higher risk. The, um, those homes, I mean, you could pull up Craigslist right now, about guarantee you could, and find a manufactured home on Craigslist where it's like the home is free if you move it or it's, 25,000 bucks if it's like a year or two old, if you move it, um, if there's ever a problem where it needs to be moved they're they're almost, uh, without value. So that's one of the big things too, is that, uh, you know, they're, they're risky. 
They don't hold their value very well. They're generally depreciating rapidly. It's not like a home where they go up in value. All of those things lead to a real lack of confidence on the lending side. But um, anyway, I don't know enough about the specific of your transaction. It's not something that I'm working on. Um, we are out of time, out of show. Would you believe it that we made it through two more hours? We did. And it was a better two hours, I would say, it's actually with really this good. beautiful view behind us, but also with your Central Coast Lending hat. Thank you. you I wear love well. the Central Coast Lending hat. Thank you, Dan. If you guys want loan help this week, um, give us a call. We're at 543-LOAN. That one number rings all of our offices or centralcoastlending.com. 543-LOAN or centralcoastlending.com. Thanks so much for being with us today, guys. We'll see you next week with another episode of Mortgage Matters.